On this episode of The Playbook, I have a legend, Joe Castiglione. He is the AD at the University of Oklahoma, and we're going to talk about Sooner magic. We're going to steal all the secrets of the Oklahoma Sooners. Join me for all of this and more on The Playbook. This is The Playbook, where I give you access each week to the world's greatest athletes and executives about their personal and professional playbook and what has made them champions on and off the field. This is The Playbook. I am humbled because I have one of the best athletic directors. He's the vice president of intercollegiate athletics at Oklahoma. Everybody knows Joe Castiglione, incredible sports executive, just inspiring and empowering so many of our future professionals, not just in sports. That's what makes it so interesting. Joe, welcome to the playbook. Thank you, Dave. But I got to flip the script back on you. I kind of, I'm not worthy. I don't know how I uh, got on a list to be on your special show today but uh thank you so much i feel honored well it is an honor and i just love the insight the playbook to success that people in your position have and you've done such a good job for so many decades but i wanted to start off i had mentioned previous to getting on here i love the sign behind you and not just because i'm a magic johnson fan i love the word magic uh you know i believe in real magic i believe in the magic of thinking of your possibilities and making them probabilities into reality. What, what is the significance, obviously, in your office of having that huge magic sign? Well, it goes a couple of different ways or cuts a couple of different ways. Um, one, magic is the acronym for our core value system. That is the ecosystem by which all of our decisions, all of the uh, dreams that we have must pass through to uh, reach the level that we want and to be consistent. Um, So the magic, uh, M stands for masterful, A, accountable, G, gracious, I, inclusive, and you couldn't be at a place like Oklahoma without the C, and that's competitive. And literally, we have a bone-deep conviction to our core values. We think big. We think out of the box. We try a lot of things. We're not afraid to fail. We don't mind being a first mover sometimes and taking all the uh, arrows that go with trying something new and people criticizing it. But it has to flow through um, our core values. And uh, I always tell people, Dave, that if you want to know how we're going to make a decision or where we may end up, you do a pretty good study on our core values. You're going to land in a good circle, pretty close to the mark of how we're going to uh, make a decision around certain issues. So it's really big to us. But it's a playoff of something that started many years ago around a game. And you talk about your own ecosystem and a belief. And uh, a lot of times people started using that when um, the Oklahoma Sooners found themselves in a very difficult, maybe almost impossible situation in a certain uh, competitive game. And uh, maybe even when it looked unlikely they were going to win the game. But you think about the people that are in the game. And the most important thing is staying in the game. You can't win the game if you don't stay in the game. And you know, you talk to players, uh, athletes of all different types, you know, how – how much their journey means to them and getting to where they want to be. And when they get to where they want to be, people say, wow, that 
Well, you make it look so easy, but they don't ever see the trials, the failures, the problems that they've faced previously. And the Sooner Magic is, in fact, a belief system that you have in each other, that somewhere somebody's going to make a play because they're trying to be the better teammate to the others that are involved. So I'm going to help you be successful. And they're all trying to figure out a way to make something happen, even when it might be the darkest moments. And generally speaking, it happened. And that's when people started coining the term Sooner Magic. You know, they think it's some hocus pocus, and it's not. It's a belief system. You've been trained. You've prepared for that moment. You know what to do. It's executing. And that's, that's the crux of the magic. It's so interesting because it is a collective consciousness. You know, there's certain organizations, schools, teams, leagues, that their collective consciousness is one looking for what's missing, looking for what they don't want looking with what other people have. And yet the Sooner Magic is looking within to find outside of us what we want. And that magic, each one of those letters, accordingly to key values that not only win on the field, but, you know, as a corporate executive myself, you know, I have my key values and people ask me, how do you lead such big teams and do such things with your career? I said, because I just teach gratitude, accountability, uh, Account, sorry, gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and inspiration. And, you know, those are my four key values. That's all I teach. People come to work for me. They want to be sports agents, marketers. You know, they want to be the GMs of teams. And I'm like, well, I'll teach you these four things. It'll get you there. And I find that the Sooner Magic on and off the field really gets you there. And one of the things in, in your past that's really interesting to me is you were a walk-on uh, when you played college sports. And I have found that in my career, the executives, the leaders that weren't given, uh, you know, everything that had to believe in themselves when everyone was laughing at them, scoffing at them or making fun of them and had to earn the applause, uh, have, you know, the experience to empower other people. What were the key lessons, number one, that you learned when you were struggling? Should I walk on or not? Because I, I'm someone that, you know, played football in college and nobody wanted him to play football in college. Uh, and I know what things I went through to decide, am I going to actually take a chance and fail and get laughed at or hurt? <laughs> I weighed 147 pounds. What was going through your mind when you decided to take the chance to walk on uh, to the program? Sounds like you and I had a, a similar, at least start. You might've had a better finish. And I, some could kid that I walked on almost as, excuse me, I walked off almost as fast as I walked on. Um, one was a love of the game, the chance to test myself. Um, yes, I wasn't recruited. And if you watched me play, you probably wouldn't have recruited me at that level either. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's just, just the idea that you could be part of a team. You know, I always felt like I could contribute something. And um, I didn't know what it would be. Back when I walked on at the University of Maryland, there were 145, 50 guys out for football. I mean, when you're at, I might have been 150th. <laughs> Whatever the last one was, I probably was that. But um, it's the idea that you could be around the team and the team concept and the locker room. That's, you know, a lot of, you hear about a lot of coaches and athletes, and, you know, we'll all talk about great games. Uh, 
experiences, you know, all those kinds of things. But they also talk about the locker room as a metaphor because of the, the group of people that you're around, the diversity, the, um, the emotions, you know, everybody is, is at least striving for the same thing, but their paths are different. And you know that, you know, in the locker room, you're getting people to be authentic, uh, maybe vulnerable, um, but to be truthful. And you're all working together to find a way forward. I love that. And I love that. I missed that. And I wanted to try it at the Division One level. And I could only do it for one year because I was, I was one of the few that are putting themselves through college. My family didn't have the money to put, uh, put any of my uh, uh, siblings through college. I wanted to be a first generation graduate of my family. Uh, both my parents had some college. You know, my father was drafted and left um, and my mom uh, was a registered nurse. Um, but going back a couple of generations, we didn't have any college graduates. So I dreamed of being the first college graduate and I wanted to do it at a major university. I ended up, um, thinking I was going to the University of Florida in Gainesville. I grew up in South Florida. Long story short, I ended up, uh, there's a lot of backstory to it, but I applied to the University of Maryland and ended up getting a half scholarship, not for athletics. I mean, that, that was the walk-on piece, uh, but for academics. And it actually made it more affordable for me to go out of state than in state, which and to this day, the, uh, the math still doesn't make sense to me, but it did work. Um, and, and so I went there without knowing anybody. That was even another part of it that you know, I walked into a situation and didn't know a soul. And I think back to those kinds of experiences definitely helped shaped me um, to what I am. And it, it led me to a path in a career that I never expected. I did not go to college thinking about a career in sports or athletics. That was not ever on the radar screen, even, even the furthest end of the spectrum. But it did that, and here I am. And now I'm in my 28th year as an athletic director. That's amazing. And our journeys are so similar, except for one thing. You know, you, the rarity was to go to college, being a first-generation uh, college graduate. You know, mine was the exact opposite. My family was so hyper-academic. You know, the fetus wasn't fully developed till after graduate school. I don't even joke around. I tell people all the time, I could graduate Harvard, summa cum laude, and nobody would blink an eye in my family. But the fact that I played college football, I'm a legend. I'm like the first person to graduate college because that's how rare it is in my family. So I feel you there. One of the other interesting things about uh, college athletics, and, and we, we're not going to talk about the pandemic and everything your poor job has to go through, other than this with the pandemic. Um, I, I hire a lot of people. I coach a lot of transitioning athletes from the Olympics and professional athletes, college athletes into their careers. And I've always said that I'd rather hire off the character of an athlete that you know, was a student athlete more than a student. Although as you know, I grew up, there were certain professions that you had to be a good student. You know, I think of Robert Smith, who I've worked with from Ohio State, he wanted to be a doctor. Myron Roll was another client, a brain surgeon. He's doing fantastic. Uh, but to be honest, those values, the, the academic, besides the discipline part, there's not a great crossover because, you know, you played linebacker for the University of Miami, 
that you're going to be a great scientist. There's no, but I'll tell you what's happened with the pandemic, especially it's accelerated the freelancer and entrepreneur space, right? I never thought that I could, you know, be seen as an icon for being an entrepreneur. When I was young, if you said you were an entrepreneur, that was like saying that you were an entertainer. That meant you were waitering somewhere that you were unemployed. <laughs> That's what it meant when we were young. Well, now, because the way we don't need to be well-trained because we have artificial intelligence that does a lot of calculations, automation, you know, what we need to be, you know, our leaders, we need to be communicators. We need to be competitive. We need to be consistent, disciplined. We need to be strategic. And you know, as an athletic director, these are things that you learn on the field and you learn them every day from the time you were five and you learn mentorship. You learn mentorship. All these things are so critical in a remote environment, a freelancer environment, an entrepreneurial environment. And it's actually, to me, raised the value of all college athletes athletes, because what most people always go into, and you know this at Oklahoma, it's football and basketball. Now you got great baseball as well and others, but the money is there. What they don't realize is the pool of candidates of to change this world, this country to lead us come from your sports program and others like yours that have magic values and understand how important it is it to you now to teach these athletes, most who will never be a pro at any, anything athletic, <laughs> that you're getting the best education, not only academically in case you want to be a brain surgeon like, you know, Myron Roll, but you want to change the world and make money, help people and have fun. You've got the best education on both sides of the sideline. You know, you talk about so many things. I could take it a couple of different ways. By the way, both Myron and Robert have been on our campus at different times. You know, so I've Got to know Robert a little bit more because he's in the media, but Myron was here last year and spoke to our team and just jaw-dropping, you know, to listen to him. But um, the the point, you know, that you made speaks to maybe one of the things we have to learn the hard way. Some learn it earlier than others, but somewhere along the, hot, the way, you have an epiphany. And the epiphany is around your why. Why are you doing something? Um, and, you know, there's, there's so many reasons, you know, that people would, would truly um, cite. But from a leadership perspective, until you recognize what the true role of a leader is, you miss the greatest part of the journey. And the, the true role of a leader is to serve. If you're not serving, you're not leading. We have these circles of influence in our lives, right? First of all, we've got to learn the most about ourselves, know ourselves, because we don't know ourselves, we can't lead ourselves. And then you look at the next, which probably would be your family. And then you look to the people around you, you know, in your career. And then maybe, you know, on a national or international level, or it's a community or whatever. So you have these circles of influence. A lot of times you do get a little bit of a pass because you might rise to get a title. And sometimes people associate influence just with a title. But that will wane quickly unless people realize that you have their best interests at heart. I kind of look at my role as a leader, similar, if I'd use a metaphor that maybe people would understand, although I don't think either one of us have ever 
tried uh, to climb Mount Everest. But everybody talks about climbing Mount Everest, the tallest mountain in the world. And it is an enormous feat. And we know how difficult, how challenging. People have lost their lives actually trying to climb that mountain. But there's a lot of work that goes into just getting to the base camp. You know, that's pretty far up the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> you're at the base camp and you still have a long way to go. And so you're trying to help people get to maximize their potential, whatever that is. What is the top? Sometimes they don't even know the top. Sometimes you've got to push them to places they never thought they could go. So I kind of think of a role as a leader like the Sherpa. You know, they're, that's a population, a Sherpa. You know, they are, they are the most trained leaders in the world because they have scaled that mountain by themselves up. And as you know, coming down the mountain, is just as treacherous as going up. They don't take somebody there unless they know the road to go. But their whole role is to help somebody get there. They don't need to get there for themselves. They are supposed to lead, help somebody else. And I think this is a metaphor. That is the greatest role. Actually, that's one of the greatest honors because you're trying to find the best in everybody and try to take them where even they might not have been sure they can go. Um, I mean, there's a lot more to it, Dave, but I think that is a role as a leader that, you know, gets missed. It's not the title. It's not the position. Yes, they can bring some level of influence. I don't know, authority or power, whichever word you like to use, but the role of a leader is the one that somebody felt helped them be the best they could be. What did they do to help them leave their story better than they found it? And that's a beautiful thing. Last thing real quick that I want to talk about that helped me through my career uh, as a player and later on as an executive is equality. And I think as an athletic director, as a leader within a a key organization of our future, that's what I consider Sooners, you know, you're developing, you're the Sherpa for our future. Um, There's a different sense of equality that uh, is involved in sports since the inception is that when we step onto the field, we're all equal and it's just our, our skill and our strategy and execution and implementation. And those who have played on that side of the sideline usually carry it over into their normal lives. And it's been used for years in a variety of ways to prove that a tree has no branches, that one branch should not go to war against another branch. And it's such an important role today in responsibility of yours to make sure that these future leaders draw us and unite us together. And you know, there's always differences to be appreciated not to separate us. What are some of the things that we do at Oklahoma, you know, to help promote diversity, to, sh- to show and empower our future leaders that let's make sure that we're uniting everybody for what we appreciate in each other, not separating over subtle differences? Well, we talked about at the beginning of this uh, uh, show that the I in our value system is about in- being inclusive. And that's bigger than diversity. Um, although diversity is, is uh, you know, certainly a big element of that. But, um, you know, I really think it, it starts first and foremost with 
uh, respect. And that is respecting everybody for who they are and um, it, not just respecting, but accepting. Because the differences are really part of what makes us stronger. And if we get stronger together, we can become nearly invincible. And that, that is, you know, at the core. Now, we could talk about all of the, the education that we do. We could talk about the activities. Um, we could talk about the importance and the priority that we've placed on it, whether we want to discuss everything from, you know, recognizing the true um, demographics of the, the number one group of people we serve, and that's our student athletes. They are the most diverse population on campus, and we have them right here in our program. Our staff uh, has to model the diversity of our student athletes. Um, we, we have also been very authentic about our own assessment where we can be better. Um, we've made a lot of progress. I mean, we could point to things that are, are good ways of demonstrating our commitment, but the work, you know, that we need to do is what's in front of us, not what behind us. And, uh, and so that commitment stays strong, Dave. And then, you know, the constant theme that we have throughout everything that we do. Um, and and uh, I, I would say that it has to be an action, not just a state of philosophy. It's, it's like whatever we're doing in today's world, helping our student athletes find their voice um, and then be able to use their voice and use their platform properly, but understand the ways to use it. And, and we also want them to know why you're using it. You can have this visibility because you're a student athlete at a prominent institution. You're a, a, maybe a very successful one in a sport that gets a lot of attention. All that's positive. But what are you going to use your platform to improve? What, you know, what's your role in activism? You know, what is your role in a step to demonstrate you are all in? So you hear about you know, all the discussion around social justice and social reform and, and why we're calling it a movement, not a moment, because this has to be an ongoing commitment. It's just not, hey, okay, it's the topic of the moment. We do all these things, you check the box, and then you set it aside and go on to something else. No, this is part of everything you do every single day. And um, we're going to be presented with so many opportunities, some small, some maybe big. Um, there, there's got to be the intentionality of how we place this in an order of priority. And Dave, we're making progress because some of the things that would have been more noticeable aren't noticeable now. But there's still things that we have gotten used to and maybe unintentional, um, but are still things that can be, you know, a sign of hurt to someone else. 
And so there's a big part of our training to, um, to identify what those are, you know, the implicit bias. Sometimes you don't even think about what you're doing as being offensive. Um, and if you ask somebody, they, they would, you know, vehemently deny. And I, we will believe them, but you don't, you don't realize that some things that uh, our society has created all around us for so many years that have been accepted by some, you know, are hurtful to others. And I think it's just the ongoing commitment to learn, to subject yourself to understanding what it's like to be in the shoes of someone else. Um, and that's why I think you hear our student athletes say, you love me when I'm in the uniform, understand and get to know me outside of the uniform. And, and we, uh, I certainly have, I say this in the most authentic of ways. I, I have had to, um, you know, stop and think about some things that, uh, and I never thought, um, even whether I was doing them or not, I mean, something that somebody would tell us was hurtful, you never would have thought was hurtful. And then when they explain why, it's, wow. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's it's really been, I think, one of my greatest life experiences. And I, I have um, family members, you know, who I have watched um, deal with struggles of racism. And, um, and I, you know, of course we do what we can as a family member, but you don't know what, um, what they're facing on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, the bias, you know, the, 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 you know, just the, the way people do things and don't think about it, you know? And so I, I think sometimes it, it is, it's complicated in one way, but some of the, the steps that we can take are the easiest of any. And like you said, you know, I, I, I believe that racism has been a learned behavior and we have to find ways to um, eradicate that, end it, and, and never let it be a learned behavior going forward. Well, Joe, we appreciate all that you've done over all the years to identify more and more things that draw us closer together and empower us to do more for good and to increase uh, the expansion of what our knowledge base is, what goodness and kindness and character that sits behind you. I just most of all want to thank you so much for sharing the Oklahoma Sooner magic with me. I have a greater appreciation. It's difficult because, you know, I have to admit I'm a Buckeye fan. Don't hate me because I still want to come and inspire just like Robert Smith, your, your team staff or whoever. But uh, there is a lot behind that Sooner magic. And I love the fact that you live what you teach and you can see by what Joe has shared with us today. And thank you for sharing with all of our listeners the Sooner Magic.